morning. Our passage this morning is from 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, Peter's letter to Christians, if it's, which have been dispersed all over uh, the known world at the time. And he continues to refer to them from the beginning and even throughout the, the uh, letter as sojourners and exiles, which indicates that the world that we all live in right now, it's, it's, we live here, you're citizens of the United States. Some of you, some of you are not citizens of the United States, but that's our, our secondary uh, residence. We are uh, we are longing for a home, and this world is not it. This world is not it. And, and Peter turns our eyes and the, the eyes of the readers who read this in the first century for the first time towards, towards a place where they could find hope, which was not, dependent, was not dependent on who was in government or what kind of government they were under or, or, or what kind of economic situation they found themselves or even, even what kind of um, a domestic situation they found themselves. But Peter is directing all of our hearts and all of our eyes towards where our hope is eternal, and that is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our hope is, our hope is in Christ. It's the one hope that you can't lose. It's the one hope that you can't lose. And what we've looked at over the last uh, three weeks is there's a theme. There's this theme. So Peter in, in, in verses 11 and, and 12 of chapter 2, he, he says that as sojourners, live your lives in such a way that you put to silence those, those who, who, who would malign your faith, that your good conduct is, is so, so striking that it would lead to the praise of our Father in heaven. So he's exhorting these followers of Christ in the first century, and by implication, us in the 21st century, live your lives in such a way that those who are watching you, they can't help but see that there's something different about you, that your hope is not placed in the things that their hope is placed in. And then he gives three contexts. Now, two of these contexts we've already looked at. In the context of how we relate to the governing authorities a few weeks back, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be emperors as supreme, and then the verse goes on. And then last week, uh, Pastor Josh brought us, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Also to the unjust. And then this morning's passage, we get to 1 Peter 3, likewise, see the previous verses. That's what likewise means. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. So you see this theme, be subject, be subject, be subject. Now, if you have the NIV translation, it says submit. 
It just means to place yourself under the authority of. Now, I had originally planned that today would be part one of, of what this looks like in the home, and then next week would be part two. So I had originally planned to address part one being the wives, and then next week, part one being the husbands. And I've been wrestling with this passage for months, and I have to address the elephant in the room. I have to address the elephant in the room. How does an emphasis on submission in verses 13 in chapter 2 all the way through verse 6 in chapter 3, how does that make any sense at all? I know some of you are thinking that. Every time that word is used, whether I'm preaching in the context of government or Josh is preaching in the context of servants in an economic situation, or we get in the context of husbands and wives, it immediately just rubs people the wrong way. It just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem right. Um, Non-Christians, they, they look at those passages, and especially the last one, especially the last one, the, the First Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, and, and they think to themselves, or they will say to you, you see, this is why I can't take you people seriously. And, and this is why I cannot believe the Bible. Because what this is saying perpetuates injustice and the subjugation of those without power. I can't follow the Bible if that's if it's going to empower or it's going to keep the powerful oppressing those who are not powerful. And that's what that does. That's how the non-Christian would read that, in this, at least in the 21st century eyes. Yes? Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who believe the Bible is true and you love Jesus, let's just be honest. You're somewhat embarrassed by those passages, especially the last one. And you're not really sure how to interact with someone who has a problem with those passages. It's just kind of like, it's kind of like the embarrassing uncle you want to lock in the closet on Thanksgiving. It's like, yeah, he's part of the family, but let's just not let him out in public. Or just don't invite him next year, right? So what do we do with this? What, was, the, was the Bible inspired for the people in the first century, but no longer applies today? How does this work? How does this work? Those are important questions. Here's the issue. The heart cannot love what the mind rejects. And so we're not going to necessarily get into the verse by verse of chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, but actually we're going to backtrack. We're going to backtrack and we're going to see how in the world did someone like Peter come to believe that submission was a good idea in any context. In any context, we have, to, we have to understand that. What's Peter's goal this morning in writing 1 Peter chapter 1, or chapter 2, verses 13 through chapter 3, verse 6? What is the goal? Was his goal to perpetuate injustice and the continued subjugation of the powerless? Probably not. No, that's not his goal. What is his goal? His goal is this. To demonstrate how a living hope empowers those who have no power. That's the purpose of this text. Let me say that out loud again. 
The purpose of what we have read the last two weeks and what we are going to see next week as we look at chapter 3 is to demonstrate how a living hope in the resurrected Christ empowers those who have absolutely no power in this world. This is all about empowering those without power. It's not about perpetuating injustice and subjugating the powerless. It's the opposite. Now, some of you are like, hmm, I don't know how you're going to pull this off. I'm not going to, but the gospel is. So here's where we're going. The message this morning is the power of a living hope, empowering the powerless with the gospel. It's important you understand, this is how the powerless become empowered. Four things. Contrasting views of empowerment. We're going to take a look at, that'll be brief the two different views of what it means to be empowered. And then we'll, we'll see how Peter came to understand this. Because he was right there with you, if you're thinking this is bunk, at the beginning. Then we're going to see how he applies it, and then we're going to take some practical considerations. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to speak to our hearts and show us just how he empowers all people through the living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word. This is a difficult subject and I am not up to the task in and of my own strength. So Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase and your word would speak truth. And Lord, that you would show us how the gospel is truly powerful and how it not only frees us from our sins, but it frees us to become the kind of people that you created us to be. People that love with intensity and love with practical application in such a way that their neighbors can see the difference. Father, we pray that you would be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first of all, contrasting views of empowerment. The world sees power this way. Empower, empowerment means to to seek to be empowered to become self-actualized. Here's what I mean by self-actualization. So if I have power, if I am truly free in the eyes of the world, it means that I'm free to do what I want. Make sense? Uh, There's no restrictions. No one, no one has the ability to impede my pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's an American thing, right? It's not a bad thing, but that's, that's how we view power. So we become empowered. No one can subjugate us. No one can hold us down. No one can tell me what to do. No one can hold me back. I can pursue, I can pursue my life's pursuits and I'm free to do so. And so to be empowered means to be set free to do those, pursue those very things. Make sense? That's what we're all used to as Americans. I'm not saying that that's bad or wrong. I'm just saying that's not, that's not what power is spiritually because you can be spiritually dead and have that kind of empowerment. Make sense? Okay. Now the gospel, the gospel empowerment means to, we seek to become empowered to become the kind of person that it should read who, not how, who desires and is able to love well. Do you want to know why the world sucks? 
Do you want to know why your marriage sucks? Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why there's racism in the world? Why there's classism in the world? Why there's sexism in the world? Do you want to know why all of the isms exist where there is one group of people oppressing another group of people or one individual oppressing another person? Do you want to know why? It's because we are not the kind of people who desire or are able to love as Christ loved. Period. End of story. That's it. That is it. That is it. So to become empowered... To become empowered, to be set free, to be liberated means to become the kind of person who is created in the image of God, who is able to love others as God loves us. Now, that's power. And when you are the oppressed minority you can be empowered and still be an economic or a personal slave. You can still receive the injustice and the, and the oppression of those with power and still have more power than the, the power of your oppressors. That kind of gospel power changes the world. It changes families. It changes nations. It changes neighborhoods. It changes community. It changes churches. It's a paradigm we're not used to, though. That's not typically how we view empowerment. And some of you are like, oh, great. I get to be empowered to love like Jesus, but I can't do what I want, so what good is that? You're missing the point. You're missing the point. So that's what, that's what it is. That's a contrasting views of empowerment. So how did Peter come to actually embrace that because any of you who are familiar with the life of Peter, that's not natural for Peter. So we're going to take a a flyby through the gospels, the new Testament. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. These will not be put up on the, the, the whole verses. The references will be put up on the PowerPoint, but not the verses themselves. So if you have your Bibles, get them out, encourage you. Let's take a look. So introduction. Peter, he begins following Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. And we have the introduction to this upside-down kingdom principle of gospel empowerment. We see this start to be rolled out in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. So Peter's part of the crowd. He's listening to this. And, and what does he hear in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, blessed be the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Notice who who Jesus is emphasizing here. All of those individuals are absolutely powerless in the eyes of the world. Those are not categories that anyone is saying, I aspire to be meek. I'm climbing the ladder of success all the way to mourning meekness, poor in spirit. Nobody wants to be any of those things. And yet Jesus is flipping everything upside down and saying, that's where power is. Peter's like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm with this. This is good. This is good. Jesus is talking about the empowerment of those who have been subjugated and have no power. I'm on board with this. I'm liking this guy. I'm ready to fish for men if that's what fishing for men is, because that's empowerment of the powerless. 
You, you see that? And then just a few verses later, we get to verse 38 of chapter 5. Just turn there for fun. Anytime I ever say that, it's totally sarcastic. For fun, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do you not resist the one who is evil? But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. An immensely popular passage for those of us who follow Jesus, especially the competitors in the room. And if anyone sue you uh, and take your tunic, well, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, well, go two miles and give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. How many of you, you just read that verse and it just makes you giddy with joy? Just short raise of hands. That's no one. Shocking. Peter's not different than you. As he's listening to Jesus, he's gone from, hey, I'm liking this, to what? What? Turn the other cheek. I'm supposed to dodge and jab. That's what I'm supposed to do when someone swings. Not, thank you, sir, may I have another? This doesn't make sense. This is the elephant in the room. Jesus, he leads with this. And Peter's like, okay, I'm pretty sure he is who he says he is, but I don't know what he's talking about, and I don't see how this is a good thing. Make sense? Some of you are like, no, exactly. It didn't make sense to him either. Okay. Ah, but later we come. He's in Caesarea Philippi, and he says to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And his disciples are like, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets of old, like one of them. And, and Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is like, you nailed it. Peter, I tell you the truth, that was not revealed to you by the will of man, but it was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And you shall be called Peter, which means the rock, the little pebble. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I can just see Peter there. He's like, <laughs> right. The Rock. I've always wanted a cool nickname. Dwayne Johnson and me, The Rock. The Rock. The Rock. Yeah. Gates of hell. Not going to prevail against the church. Steamrolling evil. Yeah. Steamrolling evil. Now he's all on board for about 30 seconds. For about 30 seconds. He's on board, trying the end game. He's all about the end game. But then, of course, Jesus says, oh, and the means to the end by which we're going to steamroll evil is we're going to serve, submit, and suffer. <laughs> How many of you want to sign up to serve, submit, and suffer? That's what Jesus is saying. In, in, in verses 16, 21, this is right after Peter's confession. He says, now I have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to give myself over to the authorities. They're going to crucify me. And what does Peter do? He pulls him aside and he rebukes him. And, and in chapter 20, verse 24 through 28, Jesus is saying, they're arguing about who's going to be great. And by the way, in their eyes, greatness is all about those who have the ability to tell others what to do. Do. That's what greatness means to them. He says, no, 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 no. Here's what true greatness is. 
the greatest among you must become the servant of all. And if you want to be first, you must be the very last and the slave of all. <laughs> what? How, how is that empowering? That's the means to the end. I got to go to Jerusalem, give myself over to the authorities, and they're going to nail me to a cross. Oh, and by the way, do you want to be great? We'll serve everyone and become the slave of all. How many of you are thinking this gospel empowerment thing sounds stupid to you? That's what Peter thought. And that's why he pulled aside the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, Jesus, come here, come here. Seriously, I love you. You're awesome. That whole water to wine thing blew everyone away. You can change, you can rise the dead, you can do all of this thing. But listen, the, when, when, when you're saying that you're going to go submit yourself to the authorities and they're going to nail you to a cross, do you realize that you are just simply empowering those who are already in power and that those who are subjugated are going to be stepped on? You're just asking, you're just begging for evil to triumph. This isn't going to lead to empowerment of the powerless. This is going to lead to the subjugation of the powerless. You're the only person that can defend them. You're the only person that people will rally around. You need to seize the day. You're the king. You're the Messiah. You need to drive out evil. Not submit yourself to evil people. And how does Jesus respond? You know, Peter, I never thought of it that way. What was I thinking? What what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. For you don't have the things of God in mind but you have the things of man. If you're Peter, what are you doing right now? You don't know what to do with Jesus. You you know he's the Messiah, the son of the living God, but everything that comes out of his mouth is just confounding you. So the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to see that what Peter is preaching, he did not believe at one time. You must see that. What Peter is preaching, he did not believe at one time. Some of you look at the Bible and you think that the words that Peter is writing in 1 Peter, well, that's just part of his Jewish heritage and and that's just part of his culture. No, it's not. It is completely antithetical to where Peter was before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's not different than you. He's not different than us. We chafe at the idea that power and empowerment has anything to do with service and submission and suffering. It's not natural to us. It's the, that's the whole principle of the upside-down kingdom. But that's where real power lies. Peter's objection. Of course, he manifests that in John chapter 18, verses 10. Jesus is arrested. Judas comes, betrays him, betrays him with a kiss and all the all the temple guards there. And and what does Peter do? Pulls out the sword, charges, and hacks off a guy's ear in true Peter-esque fashion. Some of you are like, dang right. That's what I would have (laughs) done. Me too. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, put away the sword. Whoever lives by the sword is going to die by the sword. If I wanted to call 10,000 legions of angels right now to, to wipe out my opponents, I could do that, but that's not what I came here for. So Peter puts away his sword. Now he's all confused and he runs away because he doesn't know what to do because that's not what the powerful do. Powerful people don't put away their sword. 
Who was powerful, Jesus or Peter? You know the Sunday school answer, but you still don't buy it. And then Jesus sees Peter go to the cross from a distance because he's already denied him, you know, three times. Bold, aggressive Peter, all the answers, telling Jesus how to do his ministry. And now Jesus has been arrested and he's watching this unfold from a distance. You know, the people that didn't run were the women. They're at the foot of the cross, his disciples. But Peter's at a distance and he watches Jesus fulfill the very things that he said he was going to do. He gives his life as a ransom for many. He forgives his enemies. He turns the other cheek. The most powerful being in the universe becomes a baby in a manger, lives a perfect, sinless life, and then takes on the sin of the entire world and willingly goes to a cross where he is beaten, where he is mocked, where he is spit upon, and where he is ridiculed. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he breathed his last and gave up his spirit. And they put him in a tomb. And he was dead. And there as he stayed for three days. Till on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes to the disciples and said, the tomb is empty. And Peter and John rush to the tomb and, and John gets there first and Peter finally gets there and he peeks his head in and he sees that the, that the tomb is empty and he sees the, the shroud of clothes folded there. In his heart, he, he wonders, what does this mean? And then Jesus appears to Peter later on and Peter believes that he's completely washed up. But he's seen the power of the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ. He sees that everything that Jesus said he was going to do, he actually did. And he sees that the end, the triumph over good, and the means of the end are not separate. It's through giving of yourself as a servant, submission, and suffering. And Christ conquered sin and death. And then finally, Peter's acceptance and buy-in. In the very last chapter of the Gospel of John, Peter believes that he's done with ministry. He's denied Jesus. He doesn't believe there's second chances. But Peter appears to him and the rest of the apostles and on the banks of the shore of Galilee, he cooks breakfast there and he pulls Peter aside. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Three different times he asks him, do, me love, do you love me? And three different times Peter says, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. And I want you to turn to John chapter 21 and I want you to see what Jesus tells him. In verse 17, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you catch that. What's it say? Where you do not want to go. Peter, you are the rock and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But you know how I'm going to storm the gates of hell? I'm going to lead you where you don't want to go. You're going to be crucified upside down on a cross. 
And as you submit yourself, as you unflinchingly preach the gospel which empowers the powerless, the powerful will persecute and crucify you. And in doing so, in doing so, the gates of hell will be trampled. (laughs) Peter buys it. He embraces it. He doesn't pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. He goes fearlessly to his own death in the preaching of the gospel. Not the acquisition of power. It's funny, I talk to so many people. They, they look at the church and they, they reject religion, they reject Christianity on the basis of, of religion and the power and all that's involved in the church and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, have you read the Bible? In the first century, before the Roman Empire was flipped because of gospel empowerment, None of these people had power. Acquisition of power. Peter's not about acquisition of power. He was led where he didn't want to go, the cross, as were all of the apostles, with the exception of John, who was led to prison and he died in exile. There was no prosperity gospel back in those days. There was a gospel of, of, of empowering the powerless. So, that's Peter's education. That's how he came to the place where he could actually write First Peter with a straight face and actually say, no, I meant what I said in every single context. Every single context. And that's why he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to stain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. And then he gives us different contexts where that plays out, an exile's witness. We've already seen chapter 2, verse 13 through 17 two or three weeks ago. How do you relate to the governing authorities? Peter gives us that teaching. Submit yourself to the governing authorities, including the emperor Nero. Now, in our context, we don't live in a totalitarian state. It's we, the people. We participate in the the governance of our own nation. And you should participate in the governance of your own nation because it's our nation. But our elected officials are appointed to us for us by God. And yet we submit to them, even if you didn't vote for them. It's not a one-to-one comparison, but the principle is still the same. And then to your masters. In, in Peter's day, in first century, the, the, the word slaves in, in the passage that Josh preached last week is oikos. It, mean, it means household servants. Now, there's another word that's also used for slaves, and that's doulos, which means uh, slaves with no rights. But either way, either way, the context is different, but the principle's the same. Some of you are like, I'm not a slave to anyone. Do you have visa? The borrower is a slave to the lender. Oh, there's masters, and they usually are the rich and the powerful. It's just different context, different context. And then lastly, to their spouses. So we see this played out. Now, we're not going to uncover the the ins and outs of verses 1 through 7. We'll do that next week. We'll do that next week. Now, that's not according to schedule. I've changed it. We're going to do that next week. But I, I want you to see 
the principle here of the upside-down kingdom. The principle here of the upside-down, the world sees empowerment as the ability to become self-actualized. The gospel sees empowerment as the ability to become the kind of person who desires and is able to love well. That's the key. You see, that principle, that principle works regardless of the cultural situation you find yourself. I am grateful and praise God that I live in the 21st century in the United States of America. We have liberty here, the right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm thankful for that. And the gospel applies in our context, but it also must apply to those who live in Iran right now. That very same gospel applies to us and them. It empowers us and them, whoever should choose to put their hope in Christ, regardless of the form of government, regardless of their view of family, it works when it's believed and when it's applied. Now, some practical considerations. This is important. A number of years ago, I had a conversation with a Christian counselor in the area. This person loves Jesus and wants to help people follow Jesus. And their particular vocation is they, they do that by, by counseling women and or husbands and wives in difficult situations. And this particular counselor told me, said, you know, you know what grieves me? Is that I, I have these couples that come in or a woman that will come in and the most, the most frequent... The, the, the context in which I hear First Peter quoted is usually by husbands whose wives are being abused by them. This passage has for a long, long time and will continue to be quoted by those who have power so that they might subjugate those who do not. And as followers of Christ... That is a stain of shame on the church. And she says, furthermore, it's grievous to me that when these women come to me for counseling, oftentimes they can't find help in their church because their pastors quote it too. And those without power are subjugated by those who have power. That's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. There's nothing Christian about a man who subjugates his wife. Nothing. That's demonic. And it reeks it reeks of the world. I'm shaking. I have to grab the pulpit. That's not what Jesus died to accomplish. Being empowered to love does not mean being silent about injustice wherever or whatever context it occurs. 
So before we get to the nuts and bolts of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it is very important that you hear what this is not leading us to. It is not leading us to more injustice and more subjugation of those without power. Abuse is a real thing in the body of Christ. Abuse has been a thing since Genesis chapter 3. Now, what do I mean by abuse? This is not a sermon about this. This is a side topic, but it is related. I don't have time to go into this, but there has been a sermon preached here at Grace about four years ago by Jason Blackley. Our counseling department has put together our policy on what domestic abuse looks like. Men against women, women against men, adults against children. It's a thing because sin is a thing. And we're sinners, even those of us who are redeemed. So if this is something you're like, okay, I need to know specifics. There's a paper that's detailed about what this looks like in the context of Grace, not the Grace Community Church, but this is how we apply it. Because this does not... Empowering the, uh, those who do not have power does not simply mean just say, thank you, sir. May I have another? No. No. It does not mean that. Some of you, well, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm moving into next week and preaching next week's sermon. I got to back up. If you're looking for more details, please see that. If you need counseling, if you are one of those who are being subjugated, or honestly, you're one of those who, like me, without trying to, the force of your personality steamrolls people, including your wife, seek counseling. I did. So regardless of which end of the spectrum you're on, the one that thinks you have power or the one who feels you don't have any power and you need help, that's what the body of Christ is here for. I can tell you what the pastors and counselors are not going to tell you if you're being subjugated. You ready? You will never hear. Just say, thank you, sir. May I have another. But you will find in the body of Christ and the leaders at Grace Community Church advocates who will come alongside you and speak against the injustice that you are receiving. This is a hard, hard topic. But sin is a hard, hard reality. And when Jesus told Peter that on, you, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, this is what he was talking about. Before I close in prayer, I just want to make an observation. Do you know the reason why those who read these passages struggle so much with them? is because they've been raised in a Judeo-Christian culture where the, our culture values human rights. Where, pray tell, do you think our culture began to evaluate and value human rights? Why? Because like Peter, over time, our culture began to see that human beings, men, women, children, various skin colors, various ethnic groups, various age demographics, they are all created equal in the eyes of God and our image bearers. They didn't learn that from the Roman Empire. They learned that from the one who hung upon the cross.
It's just ironic that our culture rejects the very source and the birthplace of what we now know as human rights in all its applications. When applied and when believed, the gospel truly does liberate and empower the powerless. If you would like someone to pray with you and for you, I would encourage you to come forward. There'll be people up here up front to pray with you, regardless of your need. It doesn't have to be, I'm being oppressed or I feel injustice. It could be, I'm just sick, I'm ill, I need Christ, whatever. Whatever your need, there will be people here to pray with you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. It is completely undeserved, but Jesus, you are good. Thank you, Lord, that you came to set the captives free. Lord, those of us who are powerless to save ourselves from our sins, those who are powerless to live their lives because they're subjugated by other people, Lord, thank you that your gospel is for the rich, it's for the poor, it's for everyone in between. It's those who have authority, it's those who have none. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God that, uh, that draws people to yourself. Lord, help us to live these difficult principles out that you might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless, go in grace. We'll see you next week.